Merry Christmas. You know, it's always an honor and a privilege to be with you on a Christmas season and a Christmas Eve day. Last year was Christmas Day. On behalf of our, our, our church staff and all the volunteers that serve you uh, on a week-to-week basis and the council members that lead this church, we just want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a blessed New Year. And we hope that you've grown and received a lot from what God has been doing in our congregation. So thank you all. It's really an honor and a privilege to serve you on a regular basis. If you're new, yeah, this is it. It's very simple, very God-felt, loving church that just wants to touch people with the love of Christ and wants to bring them into that beautiful relationship. When we were back in the, in the um, tree, when we did our first Sunday service in our backyard, God gave us a revelation, and he says, Jeff, the world needs love, and this church needs to be about loving the world one person at a time. So listen, if you choose never to come back, and some will, that's fine. Hurts a little bit, but it's fine. Seriously, if you choose never to come back, we'd love for you to take our mission of loving the world and make this world a better place. This world is starving for love, and when you give a little bit, you'll receive so much more of that blessing. So if we never see you again, thank you for coming, but make sure that you love the world. We're trying to raise kids in these future generations to experience the love of God and transform this world one person at a time. Amen? So there is a story I want to tell, and I want to say this statement a couple times because I think this is the essence of the message today. Tis better to give than receive. That's the title of the story. And it kind of goes back to back in the day, a girl is telling a, a story about her life. The door closes. The parents are gone. An 11-year-old girl runs from her bedroom to the Christmas tree again. Surveying all the presents again. Checking the presents, shaking them, smelling them, feeling them, lifting them again. Don't act like you've never done this, by the way. (laughs) She's checking all the presents. She knows every name tag. She knows every wrapper. She knows even the stitch that's kind of open where you can peek in. She knows every present under the tree. Now listen, she understood that being a middle schooler at 11 years old, she shouldn't be so excited about Christmas. She's grown up, so to speak. But still, Christmas is about presents, right? Well, that's what she thought. But here's the thing. This this year, her 11th Christmas, when she was 11 years old, something happened, and that's why we're telling you the story. She remembers her mom saying to her, Honey, make sure you girls don't get too excited about Christmas this year. It's going to be a little light. We've all had one of those too, right? The Christmas was going to be a little light. She says, don't be disappointed if you don't get everything you want or that big thing that you wanted. And mom said, tis better to give than receive. Now, a normal Christmas for this 11-year-old girl was eight or nine presents deep all around the tree, 360, and there was only two kids. So there was a lot of presents, and this year you could tell it was a little light because she has surveyed the tree many times. Now, finally, the day has come. Praise God, it's Christmas morning. And she's in the hallway with her sister, eagerly waiting as her parents say, it's time to come in. And, you know, they're up at four in the morning, right? eagerly waiting for two hours. Dad yells, come on in, girls, and the girls rush in, and the carnage starts. They're trying to be respectful, waiting, but they just can't handle, and they rip all the presents, and then within three minutes, Christmas is over. 
no matter how many presents they had, Christmas was over. But here's what happened. Mom came up with one last present. Mom walked in, and she had one last present, and she handed it to her 11-year-old daughter. And the daughter looked at the present, and she says, this isn't the right present. This isn't for me. The, the name tag's been changed. And she goes, Mom, I can't. This is, and Mom said, honey, open this present. It's for you. The name was changed to her. So the daughter eagerly opened up the present, and inside was a blow dryer. And she was ecstatic. And it was a couple of different reasons. Number one, she was becoming an older, older teenage woman, and it was going to make that she was like an adult. But really, she was ecstatic because she looked at her mom's eye when she gave her this gift. And she realized all of a sudden what it meant. Tis better to give than receive. The look that she saw in her mom's eye was astonishing. The joy that she got out of giving. And this lady, this is a Reader's Digest story. Here's what she writes. In the world where receiving is better than giving, my mom's selfless act was incomprehensible to my 11-year-old mind. But that morning when she gave me that blow dryer gift, I finally understood the joy of giving. And she goes, today I celebrate that with my girls. Tis better to give than receive. And we tend to forget that during the Christmas season. And that's what God wants. So hopefully you'll see that kind of go through this message. A man named E.B. White writes this about Christmas. To perceive Christmas through its wrappings becomes more difficult with every year. Does that make sense? When you think about if Christmas is just about what I can put under the tree, it becomes more and more difficult. As we try and find the perfect gift for our girls and for my wife and for my father and my parents and all of that, it's hard. Because it shouldn't be about rapping. Christians are, are here to celebrate the true gift, which is Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago, God gave us a gift. Because he loves us so immensely, he gave us a gift. He sent his son into the world. Into the world to be our gift. Above all else and beyond any Christmas present, Jesus rises above all. And he is our Christmas. God's best gift is the gift of love through Jesus. It outclasses mere frankincense and gold and anything else we can behold. It's pretty good poetry right there. No, I guess not. No, I guess you guys didn't get the behold and gold. And wow, that took about three, eight days to figure that out right there. Today, we continue on this series called Born as a King. The last four weeks, we've been going through this Advent season. Advent means the four weeks leading up to Christmas, and that's what we've been talking about. And if you've been with us from the beginning and you've seen stuff online, we've had this Advent study guide to take home. Here's the table of contents of what we've gone through. If you haven't been able to get it yet, you can go on the Facebook and Type in journey and go online and you can download it. But here's what we've talked about. Week one, hope. Week two, peace. Week three, joy. And week four, love. And we've also did the sermons the same way. And today we conclude with love. Now, if you look at the first page, I took these from my phone. It gives you some additional readings. It gives us some understanding on why we should understand uh, Christmas is about love. Gives us some questions to respond to, some prayer topics. And really, it talks today about how we can teach our kids about the love of God. 
So over Christmas tomorrow, maybe you pick this up and read and tell your kids about how it is better to give than receive because that's what the Father wants from you and me, for us to give our heart and our life to him and for him. Today we're going to go to a very unique place. This is very... uh, Jeremy Kays asked the other pastor here at the church. We got a few pastors, and he's an Old Testament nut. He, he struggles to get beyond Matthew, so we got to get him to Matthew. But we were talking this week, and we were looking at a very unique way to talk about the Christmas story because many that have been in, Christmas, uh, in church for 20, 30, or 40 years have heard this story several times. And so we want to make sure you hear this loving story through the eyes of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. So we're going to go to a prophetic verse that talks about the future king. Now, here's what's happening with Jeremiah before he gets to this prophetic verse about the king that's coming. Basically, he gives a message to the Judea kings, the kings of Judea. And it's the northern part. And they're struggling because they're having a bunch of problems. And what happens was they had one good king named Josiah. And then the following kings were his sons. And they were evil. And they just kept getting worse and worse and worse. Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 1 says, What sorrow awaits the leaders of my people, the shepherds of my sheep, for they have destroyed and scattered the very ones they were to care for. So basically, Jeremiah is now giving a message from God to all the leaders in uh, Jerusalem or Israel saying, Listen, you guys have wrecked the kingdom of God. You are ruthless and you're leading people astray, exploiting them and leading them to destruction and not caring for the flock. There was no mercy and no grace from the kingship there. But God, in his plan, had a a righteous savior in the wings. And here's what it says. So if you're able to stand, let's stand. We're going to read from two uh, verses in Jeremiah 23, verse 5 and 6. And we'll talk about this as our message. And this message is about love. Hopefully it'll make sense and it'll become part of your Christmas season. For a time is coming, says the Lord, when I will rise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land, and this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. Now, before we pray, every time we stand up and read, we also pray. And if you're new here and you've never really been to Journey, we want to kind of set you up. We are in teams right now. At the beginning of last year, we did a sermon series called Together, and we started to pray together. And one week, about week three of last year, we started to make teams. This is Team Salvation. Well, that's the first time ever. And uh, Team Salvation has been praying for people all over the world and in Ventura County and in our country to have salvation and receive it and then grow in our salvation. Salvation is not a one-time thing. And so they've been praying all year. This is Team Revelation. The Christmas spirit of competition is here. That's good. It's the first time Revelation has said anything, so that's good. And basically what we're talking about here is you're praying that God would speak directly to our hearts, that we would hear from him, and he would give us a revelation. Galatians, we've got these cards, and Galatians says this. It says, I did not receive this from a man, nor was I taught. I received it as a revelation from God. God can speak directly to our hearts and mind. And we want that. And so that's what this group. Now, I have switched to this team. This is my team, Team Transformation. 
And over the last year, we've been praying for people to be transformed, be renewing their mind and actually coming before God and letting God change them from the inside out. We have transformation, revelation, and salvation. So let's pray and watch God do wonderful things to the end of this year and the beginning of 2018. Father, we love you. And we pray that you hear our prayers corporately, so upon our hearts that we will pray for even more salvations in this world, that we will have a revelation from, uh, from you on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, so that we can know your heart, Lord, and transform us, transform our minds and our hearts and our wills and our dreams so that they match up to you, Father. We submit this to you, Lord. We love you and we praise you and we lift your name on high, Lord we honor you with everything that we are. Lord, hear our prayers. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Go ahead and be seated. So if you're new, that never happens. There's usually one person in salvation cheering and then nobody in revelation. And my team's always rocking over here. So that's good that you guys have, have stepped up. That's not normal. So don't think we do that normal and we're that cool. So here's the story about Christmas. We look at an Old Testament uh, prophecy about who Jesus is and what is he gonna be. The night that Jesus was born, God came into the world and he brought us some gifts. Not only did he bring his son in here, but his son brought some gifts. And what his son brought was peace, joy, and love. And those three gifts lead us to hope. When you have the peace of God in your heart, when you have the joy of God for who he is and what he can do, you can have the love of God and it will put you into a hopeful category and a hopeful mindset about what the heavens will be like. Have a little bit of heaven on earth. That's what we're trying to do. And that's what God has given us as we celebrate this Advent season and talking about born as a king. Now, the greatest gift that God has brought really is love. The greatest gift that we see in the Bible is love. It's profound Man, God's love is intense sometimes. We felt it a couple weeks ago when our family and friends in Ventura were struggling. It was intense. And, and the love, at the, the way that you guys were serving in this community was serving uh, the people in Ventura was intense and it was powerful. And it's also divine. We talk about divine love in this Christmas season. It's divine. It hits chords deep within us. When we listen to that Christmas story about a daughter receiving a gift from a mom, that hits our hearts. And it's this divine love, and it's this love that lasts a lifetime. God's the Father set aside his magnificent power and glory and took human form through a virgin birth and brings us this baby, Jesus. And Jesus came to the world to save us, not to condemn the world, but to save us from ourselves and from our enemies. And he wants to bring us to the Father's heart. That's the greatest gift. He chose to love us even though we did nothing to deserve it. That's the beauty about God. None of us deserve it, but he wants to give all of us love freely to us, even when we're not worthy. Tis better to give than receive. That's what the Father would say. It's better to give your life to him and give your time and effort to him than receive. We are a nation. We are a world. We are a state. We are a city that's into receiving and taking and taking and taking. But it's better to give than to receive. So today I, I wrote a sentence and it kind of sums up this little verse and it sums up Christmas. It says, at the right time, 
He will rise up a king and he will rule with love. If there was like a main point, this would be the point. And I want to make sure that you see it. At the right time, he will raise up a king and he will rule with love. Now, let's break that down into three pieces and talk about it. At the right time. Do you guys, have you ever heard timing is everything? Have you realized how important timing is in the kingdom of God and in the economy of God and the way that God works? Timing is everything. You know, have you ever thought about, and this is kind of mind-blowing to think about, all the miracles have happened that we hear about, most of them deal with some specific time. There was a story I was listening to a couple of weeks ago when the fires were happening about how their house got saved, and it just happened to be they were there at the right time doing the right thing. That's the miracle of God. God is in the details, and he's into timing. Because timing opens up our minds and going, how could that even possibly be? If I wouldn't have ran back in to get this, I wouldn't have been there to do this. That happens all the time, and it's at the right time. Timing is a big part of life. There's a lady named Stacy Charter who does some Christian uh, teaching, and here's what she writes. Life is all about timing. The unreachable become reachable. The unavailable become unavailable. They become available. The unattainable become attainable. Have the patience, wait it out. It's all about timing. God understands that, but as humans, the timing thing becomes a big part of our life. It's not happening in my time. It's not working, and it's creating chaos and confusion. God, where are you? You're missing my timeline. But God's like, I got this. Let me tell you that again. I got this. Not me. Trust me, I don't got anything. I got a lot of work to do. But God is saying, I got this. Just wait. Just relax, be patient, let my time work it out and watch me move at the right time. The Bible says in verse five, the Lord will raise up a descendant from King David's line. What does that mean? If we look to the Bible, if we look to the Apostle Paul as he's looking at this verse, and the Apostle Paul knew the prophetic scriptures very well because he was raised up to be a a Pharisee, a leader of the the church, of the, the synagogues. He was raised up, and so he knew about this timing. And here's what he says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 6. But when the right time came, when the right time came, excuse me, when the world needed a Savior, when the world was at its darkest moment, When leaders and and people were no longer following God, they were following rules and man, at the right time, Paul writes, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. He came in and lived just like you and me, subject to the world and the world's law and the rule of the enemy in this world. He came in just like you and me. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to this law so that we can be adopted as his very own children. God at the right time came and was born, lived the same way, and his job was from that, ba- that moment he became the baby Jesus, his job was to buy our freedom and make us children of the Most High God, sons of the Most High God, daughters of the Most High God, children of the Most High God. God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Think about that 11-year-old. Think about that 11-year-old who looks at her mom and is like, Mom, that's your gift, not mine. And she receives it, she opens it, and she looks at her mom and she cries out, Mom, I can't believe you love me that much. Here we see the Apostle Paul saying we need to have that same mindset. Father, you've sent your son and now he's in my heart. I cry out to you. I'm not worthy, but Abba, Father, I love you. 
Thank you for loving me when I don't deserve it. Thank you for the timing that you've worked in my life. I don't deserve it. Thank you, Lord. Your love is powerful. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, he says this, he has made everything beautiful in his time. Have you ever looked back into your life and seen something that kind of worked out for the better when it looked like it was chaos? Yeah, I mean, I, I do it all the time. I'm working on one right now that's going to work for the better. God works in his time and he makes things beautiful. I know he did in my life. And I know he's done it in many lives in this room. He says this. He says he made everything beautiful in his time and he has also set eternity in human hearts. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end because he thinks on a level that's too much for our thinking, too much for our mindset. But the beautiful thing is he works things out beautiful in his time and he also puts eternity in our hearts. I didn't think I had enough room for that. But God does. And he works it out in his time. That's what Christmas is about, a time to celebrate and a time to reflect and a time to think about who Jesus is and how that gift continues to give, not just Christmas time, but all the time. The second part of this says that he raised up a king. He will raise up a king. When you think about what a king looks like, you think about some guy with all this majesty and, 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 and cool rims and hats and stuff. I don't know about the long drapey stuff. That's kind of annoying, but I can think of all the other stuff. And he's got this cool throne. But our God said he's going to raise up a king and bring him into this world. And he's going to live just like me and you. Not from this high place, but a low place looking up at civilization. He will raise up a king. Now, what we do is we go to Matthew to look at what this king is going to do and who this king is going to be. And after opening up the New Testament, everybody says, always start in the New Testament. Yeah, where should I read, Jeff? We'll start in the New Testament. A lot of people say, start in Matthew. If you open up Matthew, the first chapter in Matthew is a genealogy. Skip, 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 skip. Right? But the genealogy has a lot because this is the line of Saul, King David's son. And it tells us how Jesus comes through a bloodline through Saul. And then it comes to Matthew 1, 23, uh, 22 and 23, and it says, All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message to his prophets. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, which is God with us. He will raise up a king, and not only will this king come into this world, but he will come down into this world and be with us. Today, our movie stars and rock stars and our important people in this world have a, a bodyguards around them, and we can't get close to them. And they just want to say hi, right? This king came down, just like me and you. Wasn't asking for anything. He just says, I want to be with you. I want, to know, I want you to know me, and I want you to know that I'm just like one of you, but I also have godly uh, uh, divine, divinity in me, and I can take you to places you've never been. God is with us, a child king born to us to connect our heart to eternity, to connect our heart to the Father's will, to connect our heart to his plan, and so that my family and my generations after will have this same blessing. Our world doesn't think about generations they think about sunday night that's tonight by the way if you didn't know that 
What am I going to eat for dinner? Because Topper's delivering tonight. They are, by the way, I checked. Hey, just free info for you. You don't even have to look it up. He's going to raise up a king, and that king is going to be born into this world, but that king is going to free us, free us from the law of the evil one, free us from the laws of sin, free us from the laws of darkness, and let that little light shine so that we can live a life for the glory of God. Jesus' birth was a miracle, and it was a miracle on many different levels, a virgin birth, but it was also a miracle in the timing of it and how he became the bloodline. His bloodline came from Saul, and he also, Mary, came from Nathan, another one of David's sons. So he was getting double dipping in the bloodline, one through marriage, one through an actual king, King Saul. And it was a miracle, but it was also prophetic. Jesus came into this world, and I think we forget this a lot of times. He came to fulfill everything that God has for us. He came to be a fulfillment. Uh, uh, he promises, but he also fulfills. Listen, I'm a father, and I'm, I drop the ball a lot in promises. God, he doesn't drop the ball. It just seems to take a little bit longer than my time. I sent him an email last week. I'm still waiting. But he still will get through. And here's what it says. Don't misunderstand why I've come. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is standing before a crowd of people on this beautiful sermon, on this beautiful mountainside in, in, in the northern part of Judea. And he's sitting there saying, don't misunderstand why I've come. I'm a different king than what you think. Don't misunderstand why I've come. He says, I didn't come to abolish the laws of Moses or the writings of the prophets. I've come to accomplish their purposes. Now, when you read that, what does that mean to you? He wants to accomplish something inside of you as well. He comes to accomplish the purposes inside of you, connecting you to eternity, healing you from the agony, building you up out of a divorce or a devastation, replacing the things that have gone wrong. He's here for a purpose, and his purpose is to fulfill your desires connecting to God, not your desires connected to the world. That's what he wants for us. Here's probably the most important thing I'll say. Born was a king, he was raised up, and Jesus is God's love in action. Jesus came into the world as a baby, and he's God's love in action. I don't know about you, but I needed to see the action. I don't, I don't, I don't want to just read it. I need to see it because I'm an action type of guy. And when I see Jesus as God's love in action, it, makes, uh, it, it does wonderful things for me. Here's the next part. I want to kind of digress for a second, a little bit, and talk to you about what a baby looks like. I got a picture of a baby. Now, if you haven't had kids yet, this is good birth control. I don't know. Can I say that, by the way? I don't know if I... Thumbs up, thumbs down. Hopefully there's a bunch of kids in here and see that picture. That'll help them out. But listen, mom's pregnant, dad's in the living room eating a topper's pizza. Everything is going great. She's got a belly full of kid, but you're by yourself. You're eating pizza, watching the tube. Life is good. All of a sudden, baby comes, and the baby becomes a disruption to life, right? 
You love the kid. The kid's awesome. But two nights ago, we were just two. Now we're three. And now I got baby monitors. I got three suitcases just to leave the house. I've got this cart full of things. And it's got like RV and satellite antennas and all this stuff on it. The baby's a disruption. And I'm not saying that to be mean, but the first few years of growing into a, 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 growing a child to become a human being the right way, it's a disruption. You've got to teach them how to talk and think and learn and communicate and what do you need? And that first year, you're like, are you sick or what's going on? And they just vomit right on you. Yeah, I'm sick. And you're like, oh, yeah, they're sick and that's disgusting. But those first few years are really critical because when the kid turns five and 10 and the wonderful years from 15 to 25 when they know everything. God puts these beautiful memories in our head. I really love them, but they're sure knucklehead right now. But I want to keep this picture up because there's a point to this. Jesus comes into our lives, and he becomes a disruption if you don't know him as well. When you accept Jesus into your heart and soul, and you want to be new and changed, he becomes a disruption. And over the next few years, you're learning and kicking and screaming and having relationship with Jesus, and still you're going to have days like this. You're still going to have stuff spill all over you and flat tires and empty bank accounts and fights with a spouse. And still, the father's okay with you because he wants those formative years for you to learn how to communicate and connect and listen and follow just as you would as a parent. The parent-child image really helps us understand God's image with us. God's looking down upon us like this. This is how you were the other night, Jeff. And the father says, but I still love you, Jeff. I made a mess out of everything, but I still love you, Jeff. That's you, too. Don't just laugh at me. (laughs) When we become baby Christians, our new faith requires disruptions. The father comes into our life, he sends his son, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit starts to speak and move and work in our lives, and all of a sudden our lives are disrupted. My dreams are changing. My job path is changing. The way that I spend my money is changing. The way that I look at TV is changing. The music I listen to, the stuff I read, the internet, all of this becomes a disruption because God is saying, I want you to change and grow in the way that you are supposed to grow and not the way the world wants you to grow. In 2018, for some of you, God is challenging. This isn't just for new Christians. God is challenging that mature Christian to recommit to communicating to him, to recommit to learning from him, to recommit a value of going to church and being a part of a community. And it doesn't have to be journey. Find a church that preaches the gospel and and become part of that church. And don't let people push you out. Christians are the worst sometimes. Not you guys. You guys are really good. But God is challenging a new believer and a mature believer 
make 2018 and finish 2017 strong with some commitments to this Advent season. Amen? The last part of this, it says he's going to roll with love. And in this verse, it doesn't even say love, Jeff. So how are you getting that he wants to roll with love? Well, let's read it and kind of break it down. It says this, that he is going to send us a king at the right time, and this king will rule with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land, and this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. This, in the Hebrew, it's Jehovah Tezdek. And I'm not going to be like Jeremy because I could barely say it, so I'm not going to ask you to say it. But this word actually means the character of God, that he is going to be the character of God. God is a righteous God. He came into the world, and, and righteous means right living. If you look at the Latin root, it means to live right. He came in and brought us a God that's going to teach us how to live right. No sin, no falling to temptation, perfect in this world's eye, and we are to try and emulate that the best we can. We are imperfect, but in Christ, we are perfect by living a righteous life as close as we can to him. All of us are going to fall, but we can try to live as close as we possibly can to him. And when you do that, things around you start to change. Maybe a little bit of disruption, but they change. So here's what he's saying. I'm going to rule with wisdom what is just and right. What is just and right? The way that I see it, it's all about me and my personality and my personal wants. That's not how God works. God is looking at a global working of you. If he's looking at you and he's saying, I want you to be this person or this man or this woman, and what you're going to look like at 80 years is different than what you look like at 35 or 17 or 48. He's looking at you as a whole, not you as in the moment. And that's what's just and right. That's how he wants to rule, and that is great love. That's how he really wants to love. Listen to what Proverbs 19, 8 says. This kind of blows me away. He who gets wisdom loves himself. It says that he is going to rule with wisdom, and wisdom was really God's love to us. A couple of months ago, we were talking about prayer, and one of the prayers that God wants to answer every day is about wisdom. He wants to bring wisdom into our heart and make it part of our life, and he does that because he loves you. He wants to give you godly wisdom. That's a prayer that can be answered every day. And it says, when you have wisdom, you love yourself. Today, our world is struggling with anxiety and fear and, and depression and all kinds of mental issues because we don't have wisdom from God. We have wisdom from YouTube and the news. Turn it off. We have wisdom from other people preaching something outside of God's will. Turn it off. This world is struggling with anxiety because the wisdom we have comes from everybody else but God. And your wisdom should come from one place, one time, all the time, and that's the word of God and from God's heart. The verse continues to say, so get wisdom. So get wisdom because God's love is about wisdom. He wants you to live the best life, seeking his wisdom, making a commitment to listen and to follow him, not your own will and your own way. And I get it. It's hard. Challenge yourself to read a Proverbs at the beginning of the year. There's one for every day of the month. Read it. Let the wisdom become part of your life. His love is magnificent. It's astonishing. It's overwhelming. 
in this place when he loves us through wisdom and fairness and justness and in this righteous character of God, it's overwhelming. When you sit here and you hear a message sometimes and you're so overwhelmed, sometimes you just want to get up and run, but the Holy Spirit is saying, no, stay and maybe come up front and pray. That overwhelmingness is actually a good thing. I had a great conversation with a lady at church last night talking about life was overwhelming and things weren't working. And I'm like, you're exactly in God's timing right where you're supposed to be. It's overwhelming, doesn't feel good. It doesn't mean it's wrong, right? Cleaning up that baby's face and all the stuff that the baby's wrecked is miserable. But the moment the baby realizes I don't do that, that's good. It's just going to take us some time. It's sometimes overwhelming, but it doesn't mean that it's wrong. You know, this month I've been reading through the Gospel of John through my devotions every morning. And this was one that I highlighted many weeks ago. John chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it says, So the Word became human, and He made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. There's no one like Jesus. God's not sending another son in a couple weeks or a couple months unless he's coming back to win the victory. The next time it comes, it's over. But he sent his son, born as a human, to come in and live like you and me so all of our excuses and all of our complaints can rest upon his shoulders because he's like, I've been there. I know what it is and I know what it's like. I know what it feels like. His love is unfailing and faithful. Do you know what the most powerful thing in the universe is? God's unfailing love. Because he forgives us. Because he's faithful to us. And his love never fails. Over and over, the Bible tells us his love never fails. We fail, but his love never fails. We don't forgive, but he forgives. We don't let go, but he lets go. We walk away, but he's standing with his arms wide open. He doesn't fail. Man, woman, child, we fail. But God doesn't fail. So I want to close with this mindset. He came at a perfect time. And if you're here today and you need a God to come at a perfect time, there's no better than today. Christmas Eve, giving your family the best present which is Christ in your heart. And if you've been a Christian for years, there's no better time to proclaim Jesus as Lord at your dinner table and at your hors d'oeuvre fest tonight or at the Topper's Pizza line after today. Because he came at the perfect time, born as a king. This God-man brings good news to you and me that I will bring peace in the trials and tribulations of your life. I will allow you to live joyfully even as life seems to be upside down. I will give you hope when you're living in a hopeless life and the world is full of anxiety. My hope will override that. And if you just open up your arms, I will overflow you with this love that is magnificent, that it's beautiful, it's overwhelming, but it's all-powerful. It's better to give than received. The father would say it's better to give than receive. The first thing you can do is give your heart. If you've already done that, give everything else to God and let him work and move in your life. I just want to go back to that girl's picture before we close. 
This girl looks at her mom at 11 years old and realizes how important giving is. She starts crying. And you should have that same mindset when you think about God the Father. Your heart should well up. You should think about his love. You should be blown away that he would take you into his arms even while you were a sinner. Even for what you did last night and how you thought and the words that you've said about God and the way you've turned your back, he's still saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, and I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to forget everything, and then I'm going to love you. There's nothing that's going to separate the love from God to us. It's you that are holding your back. It's you that are the block. So he's saying, receive me. It's just better to give than receive. Open up your hearts, take this gift, and start giving everything you have before the Lord. Amen? Amen. Charles Dickens writes this, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try and keep it all year. Christmas is not a season. It's something to make part of our lives every day. My buddy Dustin and Stephanie and their son, they do it every day. It's kind of ridiculous, but it seems cool. Christmas is awesome, and they've taught me how to enjoy it, even in July, which is weird. So let's open up our heart and let's make Christmas part of our life. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we come before you today, this Advent season, as this Sunday closes and as we prepare for a a service tonight, Lord, we ask that the light of the world start to fire up inside of us. We ask that those hearts that need a Savior come before the Lord and they receive him. Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know you or needs to reconnect or feels distant and they aren't here today with you and they want to be with you, Lord, they can repeat this prayer after me and I pray that they will just allow this prayer to connect them to the Father's heart. All you have to do is say a simple prayer and you'll be connected to heaven and eternity forever. If you're here, repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul. And be my Lord and King and Savior forever. You died and rose again so that I can have an eternal life with you. I receive your gift of eternity. Holy Spirit, come over me right now and teach me how to walk in your ways closer to you each and every day. Teach me how to love you, Lord, so I can love you and others. In Jesus' name.